Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. In our third podcast, we're going to be talking about Stop the Bleed. You can learn more about Stop the Bleed at bleedingcontrol.org. Today, we're talking to Gina Solomon, the Trauma Program Manager at Gwinnett Medical Center in Lawrenceville, Georgia. How are you, Gina? I am good. How are you? Good. And we're here to talk about the Stop the Bleed program. But before we get started on that, I want you to tell our audience a little bit about yourself and who you are and what your background is. Sure. Um, As you said, I am the Trauma Program Manager at Gwinnett Medical Center. Um, And kind of what that is in in a nutshell is I oversee the the Level 2 Trauma Program here at our facility. Um, I'm a nurse. Um, I've been a nurse for 25 years. Um, worked in critical care areas in the emergency department with a focus on the care of trauma patients, kind of in my background. So, Sure, sure. So a nurse for a long time, I gather. Yes. <laughs> seen, seen, seen a lot of action, I'm sure, doing what it is you do. Y- yes, sir. Yes, sir, for sure. Well, I want to thank you for all that work that you do do for us. So Stop the Bleed, what is, what is this all about? What is this all about? Um, great question. It, it, it's really um, this initiative that is just snowballed, and for for good reason, um, because it's really life saving and it's very easy to learn. I put it in the you know category with CPR. You know yeah. um, that we've just you know we've we've really pushed that out to the public that we you know anybody can learn how to do CPR and you can really make a difference. So. Stop the Bleed um, is a program that's along those lines, but it's really about controlling bleeding. Um, Back in um, around 2012, the program came out, um, and unfortunately, it was born out of a group that got together called the Hartford Consensus um, that came together after the Sandy Hook shooting. Okay. So this was a group of um, emergency uh, management folks, EMS, uh, trauma surgeons, law enforcement, um, to really sit down and look at not only Sandy Hook, but some of the other um, mass shooting scenarios that we had had in our country, unfortunately, and how could how could we make a difference? Okay, how could we decrease the loss of life in these scenarios? Yeah. And, a, no, I was just going to say it's unfortunate that, you know, a, a tragedies, you know, uh, get you to make you have to think about these sort of things. Right. But the good news is, is that tragedies sometimes a lot of good come from them. And I would say this is one of those things. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes that's all you, you can do is, is, you know, we can't go back and undo this situation, but what can we learn from it? You know, um, and, and that's really what this group did. So, um, when when they sat and, and went back and looked at a lot of these, um, what they realized is, you know, it takes a little while for um, the pre-hospital responders to to get on scene and render aid. Um, there's a lot of factors that involve um, that if you still have somebody who's actively shooting on the scene or, you know, you don't know what's going on. The first present there is typically typically law enforcement and their job is to get the bad guy 
not necessarily to help bleeding people. You know, Um, and that's a good point that you make, because I don't think that many people realize that when first responders come on the scene, at least as far as law enforcement goes or otherwise, they're not there necessarily to take care of the injured. They're there first to clear out the bad people. And so you're left to your own demise there for a little while until they can get things under control and then let those pre-hospital folks in. And that's the first time I've ever heard that uh, said that way as well. Pre-hospital folks. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it, you know, and, and you don't, and you wouldn't think about that, you know, that, that, that they have to neutralize that threat. That is the first goal, you know, is to stop um, that person from injuring anybody else. Absolutely. So they have to neutralize that threat before they let the, the medical pre-hospital responders um, in. So there is, um, was lag time before people came in that could render aid um, to these folks. And sometimes a, a very long time, like with Columbine, um, it, it was it was hours, you know, before there were medical personnel allowed in the building to begin to render aid. And what they found was that the people um, that were injured – some of them died from just acute blood loss that could have been controlled um, by some simple maneuvers um, um, that's easily passed on to lay people. So this is kind of where Stop the Bleed came out of. And it, it's really meant it, it started out with um, law enforcement was a target for it. And we do teach this to law enforcement um, and Law enforcement, as well as um, pre-hospital medical personnel, have, have really began to change the way that they respond to these events, and, and they almost do it more as a team approach. And that's been one piece of it. But the other piece of it is the Stop the Bleed program, and that's teaching lay people how to control hemorrhage. Um, because if you can stop the blood from coming out, um, you can buy folks some time until those um, pre-hospital medical responders can come in and get you out. Um, and they truly believe that that can save lives in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And and do I remember somewhere hearing that in, in you know trauma events that bleeding is one of the number one causes of death? Am I making that up or... Have I heard yeah, that well, no, somewhere? and actually uncontrolled hemorrhage is the leading cause of preventable death, okay? You know, there yeah. are things that we, we cannot prevent, but if we can keep the blood in your body, right. you know, then then it can buy us some time to, to potentially fix that. Um, kind of important. A lot of what we, right, and a lot of what we do in trauma care, we learn from the military, and we learn from conflicts. We learn from war. Um, so... The, the use of tourniquets and all are coming out of um, the conflicts in the Middle East, and they've learned that, and they have saved numerous lives. You know, uh, you can you can live without part of an arm or a leg, but you can't live without your blood volume. So, you know, learning on ways to control that has really been important and um, has, um, has been huge. Sure. And I assume that you know, part of this Stop the Bleed program is the use of tourniquets, right? I mean, that's got to be a pretty big part. It is. It is a big part. It's, it's for arm and leg wounds. Um, it's a large part of that. Um, and then the other part of it just being, you know, compression, good old holding pressure and not being afraid to do that and how to do it properly. Yeah. 
Well, I, I asked about the tourniquet thing because I'm a big proponent of tourniquets and I carry at any given time, I probably have two to three in my bags that I have mm-hmm. with me at any I'm time. I'm with you on that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's the go-to. And, you know, having uh, quite a bit of interaction with law enforcement locally lately, I think it's great that most all, if not every officer now carries a tourniquet on their utility belt um, all the time just for such incidents. But I wanted to talk about tourniquets for a minute specifically just to dispel some of the rumors about tourniquets because I think in the past, and I think even still now, there are some individuals and entities that think that tourniquets are bad or dangerous because it kills the local cells or you know you can't get filling back where the tourniquet's been applied and they're just not ideal to use can we talk about that for a minute and maybe uh, help dispel some of the bad uh, juju and myths about tourniquets right (laughs) um absolutely well you know when when tourniquets first um were used um and again it was in the military conflict and don't you know it, it, it was the korea vietnam error type and um, they were seeing a lot of amputations um, and unfortunately they kind of correlated the amputation rate to the tourniquet use that you know this was bad um, this and the tourniquet itself was causing um, the need for for these amputations um, but with the um, um, operation desert storm and all this and we we began back into another conflict and they really began to study that and and what they found is the com- the complete opposite uh sometimes those amputations happen uh but it's really related to the damage to the extremity not the use of the tourniquet so tourniquets have been used in the hospital um for many many years um folks that have um orthopedic surgery um knee replacements those such you've had a tourniquet placed on your extremity for a prolonged period of time for them to be able to do that. Um, so they're they're not unusual to the hospital and haven't been, um, but but changing that thought process that the tourniquet itself um, causes that extreme damage and causes amputations. Uh, the studies have shown that no amputations have occurred um, due to a tourniquet being left on two hours or less. So um, you do with prolonged period of time um, with a tourniquet, you're shutting off blood flow to your tissues, um, can cause some local damage. But if you truly need that tourniquet, you know, we can deal with the tissue damage, um, but you cannot, you know, deal with extreme blood loss. Um, So that, that becomes the caveat there. And, and if you, you know, see any uh, video from, over in the Middle East and our uh, military in combat situations, um, you will often see tourniquets that are already placed on their arms and legs, and all they have to do is tighten them because they, they, they've really shown that they make a difference and they save lives if they can control that hemorrhage until they can get them to, a, to definitive care and somebody who can fix fix that. Yeah. And I had heard that as far as any type of tissue damage that might occur after prolonged use of a tourniquet could pretty much be fully reversed with medication that we have today anyway. It depends. And if we know, you know, we know ahead of time, you know, that, that, that we've had this tissue, there are ways that we can take the tourniquet down. And yes, there are medications that we can do to kind of help mitigate 
um, the the return of blood flow to that extremity because what happens is you shut off the blood flow to that tissue and the tissue starts to metabolize things that are not necessarily good for the body because it doesn't have its usual routes <laughs> you know it's not getting right. the oxygen and the good things that you know it needs to function so uh, there will be toxins that build up because of that but there are ways to let it go be prepared for those toxins you know when when you return flow back to that extremity um you know and if you you know heaven forbid have an extreme case where it was left on an extremely uh, long period of time you know they would be able to to mitigate that um you know with surgery amputation or or knowing that's going to happen um as a possibility but again um loss of limb is much better than loss of life um especially where we have come technology wise with prosthetics are just absolutely amazing you know um so people are returning to almost normal functioning with prosthetics so um Sure. So they're, you know, not ideal, but certainly manageable. Um, and again, better than the overall loss of life. Yeah, I, I think the alternative is a, a lot worse in the overall scheme of things. So tourniquets are good, and they can definitely go a long way towards stopping severe hemorrhaging and, and hopefully uh, and most likely helping to save that life. Absolutely. So back to Stop the Bleed, and, and for folks wanting to know more, you can learn more at bleedingcontrol.org. I think I got that right. Um, that is correct. So l let's talk about just kind of going through the outline uh, that um, I have for it. Let's talk about the primary principles of trauma care response. Yeah. Well, you know, it's you, you want to... Find the bleeding and, and control it. And we talk about it. We, we like ABCs in the medical world. Yeah, <laughs> we do a yeah. lot of things. Keep based it simple. On the yeah, keep on the alphabet. Um, uh, because people remember that. They can recognize that. And, you know, uh, mnemonics are really easy. So, you know, it's, it's hey, I, I noticed something is wrong. So, A, let's alert. Let's get call 911 and get the help that we need. Um and then B is for bleeding. We need to find it. Okay, where is it coming from? Um, and that may be tearing clothes, cutting clothes, because you really need to see where it's coming from to be able to stop it. Sometimes you'll just see somebody, you know, covered head to toe with blood, and that's not really helpful because you've got to get to the site that it's coming from. you got to find it. Um, you got to find it. And then C is compress. And we talk about three different ways to compress. And first off is just direct pressure, good old direct pressure. Uh, that we learn works most of the time um, and then we have wound packing so if you have a deep wound it's the same principle except for you're taking that gauze or that towel or t-shirt and actually stuffing it into a larger wound and then holding pressure and then the tourniquets is the third way to compress so if you have uncontrolled hemorrhage on an on an arm or a leg you can utilize a tourniquet um, to stop the flow of blood um, to that extremity and thus it's not coming out out of the wound at that point in time. So those are really the, the three um, major principles. We They've kept Stop the Bleed very simple because the goal is, you know, that lay people can learn how to do this, you know, um, and we want to train as many people as possible. Absolutely. Um, you 
you know, like uh, one of my coworkers says, you know, I want the, the person behind me in Walmart to know how to, <laughs> to do this. You know, if, if I need it, you know, if something happens, you want the person next to you to be able to, to understand the principles and be able to render aid until help can arrive. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's an important point to make because at the end of the day, and I think that what you were getting at earlier too, we kind of wind up be, being or needing to be our own first responders at the end of the day, especially in these situations where we may be a long way away from help, getting help, or right. it right. takes some time to get the help that we need, right? We're, we're first on the scene. And we'll, right. and really we have a responsibility to ourselves and our loved ones to kind of know these sorts of things and be able to render that level of help to ourselves and those. Absolutely. And, and the other key piece of it is, is, you know, unfortunately, you know, all we have to do is turn on the news to hear of, you know, some unfortunate situation, you know, just another one today in Texas, but we, we see tourniquets often, um, coming into the emergency room that have been used outside the hospital. Um, and, you know, here in Gwinnett County, there's been no news report of mass shootings or bombings, but people are motor vehicle crashes, um, work injuries, home injuries. You know, the principles of this, we are training um, teachers in schools, and there was just a school uh, teacher in the neighboring county who used one on a, on a child who fell off uh, playground equipment and severely broke her arm and it cut an artery in her arm mm. uh, the bone did so she was able to control that bleeding with a tourniquet yeah you so. know like we were talking about earlier this program was born out of you know active shooter scenarios tragedy mm -hmm. at sandy hook but the reality of it is an accident to cause severe hemorrhaging can happen any place anytime i saw a a fantastic meme on one of the social media outlets earlier just this week. And it was a picture of a big chainsaw. And it was to remind you that, you know, tourniquets don't just have use on the mm -hmm. battle battlefield or in these tragic scenarios. It could be in your backyard, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one of the places that I carry my trauma kits is in the gun range because I've worked up until recently. I've done some work as a range safety officer and I, I shoot fairly regularly. So I always am sure to have a kit in there if nowhere else, because even if something doesn't happen to you, you see sometimes some pretty silly, unsafe things going on. So uh, it can happen anywhere. Correct, and we have we have trained uh, one of our local gun clubs on on stop the bleed. You know the personnel that work there, so it is it is certainly useful outside of you know those obvious horrible tragedies that we see. Yeah, and keeping it simple, something like the ABCs of bleeding just makes it all the more easier for the masses to get the information and to learn it because it's really not that hard. To your point, right? So let's talk about. Let's talk about compression and, and what to do with that and what not to do with that. Um, okay. I think a lot of times, I know I've done it with injuries to myself, you know, has it stopped bleeding? I want to lift it up and look and see if, if it's still gushing or not and then go, oh, shoot, I got to get another bandage to put back on there. Exactly. Uh, things not to do. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Those are things. And yes, compression, holding direct pressure, um, that is, you know, most of the time will control most hemorrhage um, but if you have somebody who has um, severe hemorrhage you're going to want to take you know of course gauze nice clean gauze is great 
um, if you have it ready, readily available. But if you don't, use what you've got. I have a great T-shirt from the American College of Surgeons that says this shirt can save your life, you know, and the whole guise behind that is, you know, use what you have. It doesn't have to be medical gauze. It can be a towel out of your car or the T-shirt that you have on. Um, you just got to get something on the wound and hold pressure. The best way to hold pressure is with the heel of your hand um, and then on a firm surface um, because then you're able to get, you know, good compression of the vessels, which is what you're trying to do. Um, to stop the bleeding. Um, and then you don't want to peek. Um, it's very tempting. <laughs> don't peek. I know, right? <laughs> you know, it's not, not Christmas. You know, you don't want to peek because once you let off that compression, you allow it to begin to bleed again. Um, so if you have severe hemorrhage and you hold pressure on it um, and you're going to hold it until you're relieved by the medical responders uh, to get there. And it's also really important not to, Hey, the ambulance is pulled up so I can, you know, let go and walk away. You want to keep holding pressure until somebody takes over for you, um, from that standpoint. So, um, but firm, uh, constant pressure, um, without looking is, is, is the best way to, uh, to compress. Yeah, to your point, you don't have to have medical equipment either, like we're talking about. Nope. You can use a towel out of your trunk or a t-shirt off oh. your back. I Ideally clean, but again, if it's a life-threatening <laughs> hemorrhage, it doesn't really matter. Just get something on there and hold it. Exactly. We have antibiotics, so we'll take care of whatever, you know. We'll figure <laughs> all that. Dirty in the in the trunk of your car. We'll but, deal with the funk know. later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this tourniquet versus packing, you know, sometimes especially being lay person, I don't really know when to use a tourniquet versus when I need to stuff a hole that's uh, or inordinate amount of liquid um, that I need coming out. Let's talk about when to use a tourniquet or where to use a tourniquet uh, versus packing a wound. Right. Well, and, and it really may be an escalation um, for, you know, obviously the tourniquets, you need a wound that's on an arm or a leg. Um, to be able to to use that, um, so it's it, it's really nice that that is an option. Um, so you know if if the wound is on the neck or at the shoulder or the groin, obviously that takes tourniquet out and wound packing. You know maybe your only option. But if you see um, loss of all or part of a of an arm or a leg, um, if you have blood spurting out of a wound and that's exactly what it looks like if you cut an artery um it's it's like getting a split in a garden hose yeah it's <laughs> that's a geyser exactly what it's like it, you know it's a geyser so when i say spurting that's exactly what it does or you have blood that is constantly coming out of a wound um, that will not stop and it's you know soaking the clothes and um the, the ground um, those are kind of what we um consider that life-threatening hemorrhage um, so if it's on an arm or leg and you have a tourniquet available um, and and it meets some of those things, then you can go straight to the use of the tourniquet um, for that. It's it's just a Velcro band. Um, so when you take it out of the packaging, you just um, unfold it, um, put it two to three inches above the side of the bleeding. You just want to make sure you don't go on a joint. Um, so it should be above a joint. You can put it on top of clothing you just don't want to put it on top of something bulky in a pocket or such as that so because you, you want to get it snug next to the skin it it doesn't even have to be extremely tight with the velcro because 
you're, you're going to notice it's a Velcro band. Uh, there's a, wa- a rod, we call it a windlass rod, and yes. a clip. Those are really the three parts to the tourniquet. Um, so you use the Velcro um, snugly around uh, the arm or a leg, and then you take the rod and you turn it, and it doesn't matter which way. You can, clockwise, counterclockwise, either way works. And you're just going to turn that rod, and it's probably going to take both hands um, until you can't turn it anymore or you see the blood stopping um, from coming out of the wound. And then the clip is just to hold that that rod that you've tightened in place, and it doesn't allow it to unwind. Um, And those are really the three key pieces um, to the tourniquet itself. Um, so it's, it's quick, it's easy to use. You can do it one handed, so you could do it on yourself, um, for, and it's designed that way, um, to be easy to use, um, cause you want to be able to do it quickly. And doesn't, aren't the tourniquets, at least the ones I'm thinking of the, what is it? The combat application tourniquet, combat the application cats, tourniquet. which seem mm-hmm. to be the go-to for, for everyone. The one that seems to be recommended. There's a way to write the time on there. So first responders have some sense of when the tourniquet got applied. Yes. So, you know, better how you might need to. Yes, they, they do. Um, there is a little piece of Velcro um, right at the clip. Um, where you can put over the clip and, you know, if you had something available, write what time that you put it on. And that just lets us know at the trauma center, you know, what time it got put on, how long it's been on um, from that standpoint. And it's really important. I mean, they, they are um, very useful tools um, and they work well, but they're painful. Um, so when you're putting a tourniquet on somebody, um, you're also explaining, I know this hurts really, really bad. Um but, you know, I'm trying to save your life here. I've got to get this bleeding under control. But knowing that it's painful um, for the person that you're putting it on. Um, but you can't be afraid. Um, you got to tighten it. Know it's going to hurt. Um, and and just try to explain that to the patient. Know that you're, you know, your goal is to save a life. <laughs> hey, at least um, the pain lets you know that you're alive. So let's get through this, right? Exactly, exactly. So some of the... Um, Kind of pitfalls with the use of tourniquets is, is being is not using one, um, you know, being afraid to use one, um, not making it tight enough um, because you're afraid you're going to hurt somebody. Um, so you really have to make it tight enough that you're stopping all blood flow um, to that extremity. Um, you can actually use two tourniquets if need be. So if you put one on and it doesn't seem um, to be controlling it, you can put another tourniquet on above the first one. Um, so those are just some, you know, some common things that, you know. Yeah. And much like work. lifting the compression off to look, you don't want to take, if you do have to use two tourniquets cause bleeding's not slowing down to the degree that you were hoping you'd want to, if you do get that second one on, you want to go above the first one and then don't mess with the first one. Right. Co- correct. Correct. You don't, don't take anything down and you don't want to loosen it. Once you've put that tourniquet on, you just leave it. We'll deal with it at the hospital. So, um, you know, you're not going to take it down no matter if they, tell you it's killing them and, and beg you to, you've got, once you put it on, you just leave it alone. You don't loosen it or take it off. And is, are the cat tourniquets really the go-to standard? I know there's two or three types. It seems like I've seen recently, there's a newer one out. I know there's the rat as well. Uh, rapid, rapid application, I think, is that what they call? Um, what, what's your preference? What do you tell yeah, folks? Yeah, there, 
there are yeah there are other tourniquets out there um but the the good thing about the the cat or the combat application tourniquet is it it's not terribly expensive it's easy to use um and you know those are the two main things about that so the the cat tourniquet actually is the preferred military tourniquet mm. um so again they're the ones that you know <laughs> that we've learned a lot about this tourniquet, so we know that it works. Um, so that's kind of what we see the most of is the cat tourniquets. Sure. Yeah, and you want to be careful. You you can get them pretty easily. You can get them off of Amazon. They run around $25, $26. I think the new Gen 7 somewhere around 27 28 but you can get them off of Amazon. But what you want to be careful of is some of the Chinese knockoffs where you're getting a three-pack for $14. You want <laughs> you want to save your pennies and spend the extra 10 bucks and get an authentic cat. Absolutely, because um, North American Rescue is the, the only company making uh, the authentic cat tourniquets right now. So, you know, they are range anywhere from 25 to 30 bucks. So if you're not paying that, you know, if you're getting it for nine ninety nine, right. um, it's probably not real, right. <laughs> um, you know, because I understand that there are some, you know, role player and cosplayers who, you know, will, will wear them um, just for looks. They're not functional. Um, and you may get something like that. And, you know, uh, when you need it is not the time to realize that yours is not really a, a real tourniquet. So I have so to ask, is, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying it is really important to make sure you've, you've gotten an authentic one. I have to ask, I see these blue trainer tourniquets and I know that's just to differentiate them from the others and probably because they get reused in training. You don't want to reuse a tourniquet because it gets stretched out, but likely because it's dirty and contaminated as well. But is is there any real difference between the blue and a normal, let's say? No, if you if you had a blue tourniquet in a in a package, um, you know, it works the same way. That, but they are just the the blue is kind of hallmarks that this is a training tourniquet. Um, because you do, you know, we've all had Velcro that no longer Velcros, as I call it. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's just worn itself out. And that's what happens after, you know, using a tourniquet repeatedly for training is you have the potential uh, for failure there with the Velcro. So that's why we recommend, you know, you don't want a tourniquet that you might use on somebody you don't want to utilize to train with or practice with or, you know, right. open and close too much because you run the risk of causing failure. Yeah. Don't want that. Defeats the purpose. So I think, you know, Compression on a wound, holding constant, steady, good, solid pressure on a hemorrhage is easy enough and pretty straightforward. And even going back to first aid that I learned in the Boy Scouts, that was the go-to. Direct, apply of direct, firm yep. pressure, right? And I think yep. with a little bit of familiarization, familiarization with the tourniquet, folks can learn and figure out how to use one fairly easy because they are fairly straightforward. And obviously, it's only appropriate for arms and legs. But let's talk about this next one, because this one kind of, I'm sure, gives folks the heebie-jeebies where you got to yeah. get in there and, you know, we call it packing the wound. But at the end of the day, you got to get in there and, uh, and stuff right. some stuff inside there. So, exactly. um, 
if if you have a, a a wound that's that's large and deep, or you know a wound that may be on a, a, a like I said the groin or um, the armpit or the neck, there there are large vessels that run through there, um, and you can't use a tourniquet on it. So you may need to actually get in there because you want to get to the site of the bleeding. Um, and the most severe bleeding is maybe not those superficial vessels on top. Um, so you want to be able to get down to the source of bleeding. So if you have a large deep wound, you want to take your gauze or towel or, or t-shirt or whatever you're using and actually stuff it into the wound because um, you really want to get down to the site of the bleeding. So you're just going to stuff you're going to stuff, and then you're going to hold pressure on top of that. Um, if you still see bleeding coming through that packing, um, you don't want to take that packing out. You just want to add to it. So add another towel to it, add another roll of gauze, um, and again, just hold pressure. Um, but it does. You know, people don't want to, you know, non-medical people especially don't want to stick their hands <laughs> Yeah. down or you know you're worried about causing further damage but you've got to get down in there to the main source of the bleeding you know and the deeper you go the bigger the vessels are so you've got to get control of those larger vessels um so that's where the wound packing really comes in handy yeah so it's a good idea if you do have uh, trauma kits to probably have yourself a set of uh gloves in the mix to uh to protect yourself but if not if you got to go you got to go and exactly get that stuffing in there so just to uh re uh, go back over some of these again summary of the abc's is uh, after you've made sure the area is safe and you're safe alert right call 911 right. that's the first step and if you can't do it cuz you've already gone to work on whoever have somebody nearby if they're available do it for you right and, and one of the, the things we, we say um, about that is be bossy. You know, um, if, if you're at a scene where there's lots going on and you have lots of people, you know, and you just yell, call 911, you know, one or two things going to happen. Either everybody's going to do it <laughs> and, and clog up 911 or nobody's going to do it because they think that, you know, the next person is doing it. So, you know, being bossy and actually pointing somebody else, will you, you please call 911, um, can be very helpful in those kind of scenarios. That's a good point, being very specific in those directions, those instructions you're giving. Um, the next one. People during that chaos, I I think actually appreciate, you know, somebody giving them direct instructions. Yeah. So. Good point. Uh, B, uh, obviously is for bleeding, but not in the sense, uh, just finding where the bleeding, the source of the bleeding is. And to your point, that could be, you know, if someone's covered in blood, that could be anywhere. So, you know, you're likely going to have to remove some clothing, lift up some clothing or cut some clothing off to get to it. Correct. Correct. You want to you want to find out where where it's coming from because you can't compress if you don't know where it's coming from. Yeah. And then, of course, C that we've spent some time on is for compression, applying that pressure to stop the bleeding, Mm -hmm. uh, either by covering the wound and applying constant steady pressure pressure, uh, using a tourniquet if need be, or if you've got to get in there and stuff that wound, pack that wound, in which case you're actually still going to use compression when you get through packing on top of that. Correct. Correct. So it's a, it's a twofold process. Great. 
Well, what can we do? What can we do to get involved? Where do I go to learn more and what do I need to do to sign up? Well, you can um, look at the bleedingcontrol.org um, has a, uh, a place you can go there and look if people are having public classes. But you can reach out to your um, local trauma center. If, if you know where that is, just about every trauma center in the country is participating um, in this initiative, um, as well as our, our, our pre-hospital um, cohorts. So, you know, reach, if you can get to somebody in a trauma program somewhere, they can usually point you to the direction um, to get training. And, and, you know, like I said, we've trained schools. We've been to, um, you know, community um outreach programs we've done you know just drive-by training you know here at the hospital you know set up a, a station and just train people as they you know come by because it is you know there's a, a whole powerpoint and everything that goes with it and that's great but you can also train people you know on on the skills very quickly it doesn't take that long um to do we've set up at the um one of the uh baseball fields in the area train people as they come by so you know if if you're looking for a program those are some suggestions to outreach to find people who could can come teach groups and and so uh bleedingcontrol.org has some information but your local trauma centers and your hospitals can get you hooked up with the program yes yeah um Let's talk about gear. I know bleedingcontrol.org also sells some rescue trauma packs. Are there any other sources or entities that you recommend people looking to to get good gear from? Yes, there there are a lot of um yes, bleedingcontrol.org, you know, has a little store on there, but there are uh, um a lot of companies, you know, Google can find you lots of things. Um, you know, just make sure that it's um a reputable company that sells medical equipment, um, you can can trust them pretty well. Um, I know there's a, a, you know, right here in Marshall, Georgia, there's a local company um, that we've worked with um, that sell individual kits. Um, and we're also working on placing these kits like we place AEDs. So right in our area, um, we've placed kits at the local mall, one of the colleges, um, uh minor league baseball stadium, you know, places where people may gather. Um, we've put, we call them wall kits where there's actually 10 individual bleeding control kits in them. So the goal really is to make uh, the tools needed to do this more readily accessible to people. Yeah, to be, it'd be great if they'd make the excessive bleeding kits required like they do the first aid and AEDs and corporate yep. corporate world as well. Right. And we're working on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Baby steps. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been great. This is a lot of good information that I, uh, I hope people can benefit from. It's pretty straightforward. The ABCs of bleeding. Um, yeah, we appreciate you being on today with us. Well, I appreciate you uh, asking me, Jim. I enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. And um, thanks so much. All right.